Yes? Okay. Okay, we've been studying a key biblical verse called Tzernam Elohim in its shot context, first of all. One can make the argument that this pasuk, which we've seen, is the most powerful pasuk in all of Tanakh, which establishes the intrinsic dignity, preciousness, and value of the human being. Of course, we all by now are aware that this pasuk is unique in all ancient Near Eastern literature. One cannot find anything that in any which way approaches this pasuk in its power, in its force, and it goes without saying that this is the foundation principle upon which all of contemporary, modern society, civilized society is built upon. Everybody agrees with the statement that every human being is viewed in this fashion by a civilized person. The extraordinary nature of this pasuk, which we said 3,300 years ago, is such that even a modern-day atheist will still admit to the value of a human being even though he doesn't believe in God. In other words, look at the funny, ironic twist of what went on over here. We established this principle that every human being is of infinite value and precious, Salem Elohim. The atheist will say to you, even though I don't believe in God, still and all, I believe in a human being. What do you mean by that? You ask him, will you step on ants? Yeah, I step on ants. Cockroaches, cockroaches, sure. Would you kill a human being the same way you kill an ant? No, why not? He's different. Why is he different? What does a human being have that makes him different? If you're, if you're an atheist, then what gives him that? Well, he's a human being. So only because he's further advanced on the evolutionary scale means you won't kill him randomly? I, you can't kill a human being. I'm not uncivilized. I'm a civilized human being. But upon what does he base that really? He doesn't have an answer for that question. If you don't root it in Hashem, in God, then what are you rooting it in? Nevertheless, he will still assert that principle. He will still say the human being has something distinct above and beyond the animal. He's not simply one step beyond the ape, not simply one step above and beyond the ape, but rather he has something special, unique, though I don't believe in God. He's really caught because either it's you believe in the human being because he's a result of God's creation or he's just simply a product of evolution, nothing more. He can't be both of you. argue that he follows the laws of the land. They usually will not argue that. They will not argue, say, they say there's something special about a human being. I'm not going to go kill a human being. Parenthetically, parenthetically, it's interesting. Uh, what, one of the sources that, we came, that I looked up over here is an interesting thing. Tell me why you think I think this is interesting. On this pasuk, ze Hadam, Adam, image of God, right? This is a statement. The following are going to be toladot generations, but the early were not were not toladot of mankind. What were the early generations? Elahut. Adam shed enosh shatak. I want him ad kan up to this point of Adam shed enosh it stops ad kan selam dumut bekan ba'elach nitkalu adirot people corrupted themselves when they were kintorin they were created as people that argue and strife and dissonance. Further, four things changed during the years of enosh. Enosh, of course, means man as well. What are the four things? The dead started smelling. What's a cough? A monkey. The face of a human being became monkey-like. The Midrash. No. It's saying there was a distinctive element to the first generations of mankind. And then man became... No, no, no. Then man began the evolutionary process of going... He became a monkey, and then he started developing once again. 
Yeah. Is the way I see it. No, no, he said he became a you regress he became, he regressed because, he really because of animal life. Because animal he life. became, <laughs> his faces became, his face became the face of a monkey. So you read this any way you want. Okay. It's an interesting notion how the Midrash... It's pro-Darwin. Yeah, it's pro-Darwin. I mean, it, no, it's, it's just very striking. There is a very significant element in Midrash Eclipse, only one source, that we're going to do on Saturday night. Not the Saturday night, but we'll have a wedding, but the following Saturday night, with science and religion, we're going to study evolution and find references in Talmudic literature and Midrashic literature for evolution. I'm going to give all the sources that we have about evolution in all of our sources. From you, you'll learn, we're not learning how to analyze him in that. No. So you are, but... Of course. So, it's, it's, yeah, it no, takes no, 10 I'm years to do. No, it's a PhD, a it's a PhD a story. Question. That's a PhD. I'm paying a question. You got it. Okay, yeah. Uh, that Midrash it might be telling us a story that could give us a mutad or some estimation or some symbolism or some... to show how men degenerated or regressed to a point of morality you depravity are you and not his face. Are you Midrashicizing the Midrash? Yeah, I'm you to help you. Are you peshatatizing that? Come Saturday night. What's Come Saturday night. Time from the Midrash? Well, this... This, the, is, this predates Darwin. Of course, by a thousand years. <laughs> of course, yeah. Bereshit Rabbah is the second of the Midrashim that was collected. The first was by Ikra Rabbah. Bereshit Rabbah is around the 5th century, 6th century. Tanhuma was even earlier. But this 5th um, century, usually, well-organized, um, containing a lot of centuries of earlier material. So it quotes three to four to five, six hundred years of earlier material, but was codified, collected, and systematized in the fifth century. So it's an interesting point that we're going to deal with again on Saturday nights. Back to our story over here. I want just to open up and just show you, just for one second, actually, this interesting thing about Rashi. You look at this last pasuk in Haran, right? Eli, read it, please. Read the pasuk. We only have Becharan. Oh, Read Rashi now. Read Rashi. Nun hafucha. Nun hafucha. Lomar tachad. Avram charon af shel Right. What is that she's saying? That the noon of the word haran is upside down to show us the anger of Hashem. Right. So now look. Right. Now ours is not upside down. Now she's Torah had an upside down noon. We mentioned this about two or three weeks ago. And I want you to see inside. Now look at Hachai to your left. When Hachai says. Not. Right. So Rashi had a different Torah than our Torah. His Torah had an upside down noon, like we have, let's say, Vahibin Soa Moshe in Bimidbar. All that. So that also has Nun Hafucha. And Nun is upside down that brackets out that is a separate area. 3, 4 Pesukim. And she had it over here also. We don't have it over here. One of the things I'm thinking of doing, I just thought of this about an hour or two, and if I do teach this coming semester in Hikri Kahiri's Bet Midrash, if I'm feeling well to do so, I want to give a course on rabbinic dissonance in biblical commentary. What does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean? No, it's, it's a kosher. What does it mean? You need a course on what it means. To show you rabbinic disharmony or dissonance in biblical biblical commentary, where they're going to argue, where each one will argue. Like this is one example of that. This guy says Rashi doesn't know what he's talking about. That Menachai is very upset about it. That's one thing. That's such an outstanding letter. That's upside down. One out of twelve would say the whole Torah is going to be not transcribed correctly. 
Very I'm not going to say that's not just us correctly. Oh, he might be actually. First of all, he might be correct. We're not correct. Number one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Or the opposite. Oh, yeah, he was probably yeah. correct. You said you're looking at two books. He said you're looking at two books. I did. did. And it's straight. <laughs> well, one is not available, but the other one is yes. Okay, so but it's very strange that the transcribers would make a difference. Such an outstanding. It's an incredible point. I agree with you. Okay. But there are missing. And the other example that we studied already. Why you Such an outstanding. I know. I agree with you. And more likely they missed it. I'm just pointing this out to you. And the other example that we gave, Hayyabiyam Kalot Moshe Taron in Halotecha, Kalot, that she says, Haser Vav. Because it was a day of like Kala, like a Hatan and Kala. We have the Vav. You know, if you're going to review that or study researchers, you're going to find that maybe there was a review of a committee that decided to straighten it out and there was no reason to have it up right now. I'm not disagreeing with you. It's just an amazing yeah. textual transformation. Not to be a decision. Another question, just parenthetically. What do I make of the following phone call from Alice Shalom? I want to look at your, I want to look at your, um, your, your Aleppo Codex. Okay. She called me up. What she called me for? She your Aleppo Codex. So. No. <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous about this. She may you want to change more radical things. In any case, so we'll share it with her. Just oh, to, drug abuse. No, oh, she wants my Aleppo Codex. She wants to smoke drugs. Oh, yeah. you use Aleppo Codex. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. So you now we understand what Tzilam really means. We've gone through the Pesukim Peshat-wise. Now we went to the modern commentaries. And remember, we're going to go backwards. We had begun reading from Irving Greenberg's essay, which really tries to interpret this phrase. Now, you have to think very carefully whether or not Irving Greenberg is going much further than Peshat in the text, or this is the Peshat text. What does Hashem mean to tell us by this phrase, Tzilam So we had begun to read, skip the first paragraph, Let's start with the value stance. What is the fundamental? You have it. I made some more copies, new copies. I'm very proud of us, by the way. We have more me- people here that's learning than we have at the meeting inside that we're trying to raise money. They have four. We have six. So it's very, very good. We're getting there. Right. So we're getting, usually it's the opposite. This tool is a landmine for money. Not at all. Not at all. No, no, no. Really? No, no. They do. They got a sack in every bench, every corner. There's a sack. Well, they do and good things. By the way, Sammy was a wonder in there. He told me. Like, he said it was great. It was great. Yeah, he's, he's really wonderful. He himself along. was fantastic. He's coming we along. We work together. It's, it's great. It's great. Yeah, no, it's very good. Okay, so now, what is the fundamental value? Now, take note at this and how careful we have to be when we read it. What's the fundamental value in Jewish tradition? It's an amazing question. Now, interestingly enough, think back. Does any rabbi that you know President Company excluded, or any commentator you know, ever raised this question. It is a modern question. What's the fundamental value in the Jewish tradition? Although, ironically, though it's... One second, one second, right, we might say just, but no, comment, no commentary, Rashi or otherwise, or usually, is that discussed. Why not? I'm sorry? Fundamental, one second, one second, fundamental value. What does that mean? What is the ikad? What is the essence? We hesitate to discuss this because we want to say that every pasuk of the Torah is fundamental. We don't want to say one is more fundamental than the other. It's an interesting question. That's an interesting stance that we usually take, and, and appropriately. But often enough, you're going to have a conflict in values. Here's an interesting conflict in values. This came up to the, a day today, I think it was yesterday. Somebody calls up, I want to write a, um, a halachic, a proxy um, health will. What happens to me if I die, etc. So I said to him, well... You know, I, I could do it. I, LCA is very good at it, but I don't recommend it. I think it's just tell your wife what you really want, let it, and, and start, let the rabbi sign on, whoever you want to choose. The rabbi signs on, and then you then you do it because the proxy limits your choices, right? 
because it only gives you ten different. It's actually eight pages of different things that could happen to you. It gives you choices. Then I said, so I said, when the rabbi and the wife could discuss it, then we know what you want, and then we'll do it. We're going to end. They said, I said, but what about your parents? He said, well, what have to pay? I said, well, your parents may argue with your wife over it. I don't. I want to. Your parents should be part of this. He said, what if they say no? That let's say he says, what if I'm in a vegetative state and I want machines to be turned off, and my wife says that's what he want to do it. My wife parents say no. So I said, it's an amazing question because here you have the halachic value of wow. the parents' kibbutz avayim versus what the person wants wow. in that situation. I said, I don't know the answer no, question. It's, it's a conflict of values. Correct. It's a conflict of values wow. where kibbutz avayim is one hand. And that he wanted something else. What does one do in that case? So that's something that has to be researched. So you have often enough in halakha conflict of values, and one has to win. We have to do something. Which one is going to be the what fundamental about, value? Is what the question. About the initial position about we don't have any type of foundation for that. Usually we don't. Say but that. our understanding how to learn starts with mishpat, with justice. No, absolutely. With kenegad midah. All these things are values that are built in into the learning process. Agreed. We have to interpret pasukim based on those issues. So we have to interpret pesukim based on those issues. So you're saying, yes, based, no, so you're, no, you're, you're doing it backwards. The pesach and the pasuk. Right. We have to go back to what the traditional values are: justice. Kedem are those biblical or rabbinic? I don't know. Well, that's you have to determine first of all. I, I will argue. No, I will argue that the tradition got it from the Bible, because the Bible came first. Are you, do you want to create how do we new learn, values? How do we learn a Talmud based on these things. How do we learn a pasuk? It depends if you're learning Pshat or Dirash. Are you learning it rabbinically or are you learning it okay. Pshatly? Okay. That's, that's what's fascinating what we're doing right now because we're going back to the Bible pure and simple. Tanakh, what it says. And we're going to see how this Pasuk, which you see as key, has transformed, transmigrated, if you will, into different areas. We're going to see that as we go along. So let's hold on to that. So Rabbi Greenberg is the first. He sees the Pasuk as the most critical in developing a philosophy of Judaism. He's saying fundamental value upon which I want to build all my other values. So he's going to decide our questions. Whatever we have based on this fundamental value. Is he going too far? Is this really a critical Pasuk? Is it a key Pasuk? Or is this Pasuk really, he's making it into a key Pasuk? So here, Eli would have said over here, that Eli, that he's really going too far with this. Right? Where is he coming from? Who said there's a fundamental value to begin with? Does the Pasuk look bold in the Torah itself? Is it with a capital hat tzelem elokim? No. There are huge, there are places in the Torah where the letter is larger, right? We'll give you many examples of that. Upside down. Or upside down, sometimes, <laughs> correct. Or in some way or other, dots on it. Give me a Pasuk with his dots on it. And it's Surah Hashem Elokeinu, right? And it's Hashem Elokeinu has dots on it. Torah wants you to emphasize those, those words. We have nothing on this pasuk. Why not? So Eli would have argued that, look, you're going too far with this. What are you fundamental value? What's the fundamental value? And you have to check me because I think it is. And uh, am I reading it this way because I've trained to read it this way or I really believe it to be read this way from the Peshat? So let's see. So Greenberg says, this is a, in developing a philosophy of Judaism or as that which establishes a value stance towards solving these halachic conflicts or any issues in society, this is the pasuk. Correct? clear. So Greenberg says, and this defeats Eli's argument, he's not going to simply say, I'm saying this. He goes back to the tradition. So he says, yes, Talmudically, classic agreement, so really, fundamental value is a Jewish concern, Talmudically. Where so? As to which is the fundamental value principle of Jewish tradition. says, good. This is Azai says, this is our pasuk, 
זה אדם, ביום ברור אלוקים אדם, בדמות אלוקים ברא אותו. וזה כלל גדול הימנה. זה גרייטר פרינסיבל. One is a more particularistic principle of Rabbi Akiva. Love your neighbor. Somebody who's Jewish as yourself. But Allah says, no, I want a universal principle of Tzalem Elohim. Of every human being should be viewed with intrinsic dignity. Good. But as I do is one of my classic view, and of course he's now quoting footnote one, which I didn't Xerox for you, but footnote one says, Sifra, Kedoshim, Vayikrayot, we know this, right? Good. Rabbi Akiva says so too. But fundamentally, no, what do you mean? Why do you think so? Here, Ben Azai's position. The whole Hillel story. Hillel's story is what? Madisani. But look, he's talking to a non Jew. So why is he doing this to a non Jew? So, Madisani Alecha. Right, so that was just hateful to you. Do not do so. It doesn't go over Hillel's story. He says it negatively. It's connected. Connected. But it's also, notice the universal implications of that Hillel story where he's saying to a non Jew, he's re- relating to as a man of dignity and saying, I will deal with you. Shammai says, No, I'm going to deal with you. Wow. Hillel says, I'm going to deal with you. Wow. So, it's an interesting point. Also, interesting is Perkei Avot has a statement by Rabbi Akiva, Haviv Adam Shnivra Betselem. Rabbi Akiva also had a universal thrust to him as well. On the other hand, interesting, of course, that Rabbi Akiva fought the battle against the pagan Romans. He led the Bar Kokhba revolt. So does that color your philosophy of man? When you have to go do battle against the pagan Romans. Do you see them as Salem and Okim? Do you see them as pagan Romans? So that's an interesting... Exactly. So that's an interesting issue. Let's go on. So now, that's point number one. Correct? Correct. Now, in the judicial oath which witnesses took before they were allowed to testify in capital punishment cases. Now, we're talking about capital punishment. We're going to kill somebody now. Capital punishment cases. Tell me some implications of Salem and Okim. The witness is now, when you draw an implication, is that still part of the Peshat, or now is the Talmud reading into it? We're drawing out implications. The Talmud is now, I'm going to give it to you in a second. The witnesses were warned that in their testimony that human life was at stake. Images are reproduced identically. If one creates a die or a plate, every copy is the same. If one copy isn't, one has very, but each reproduction of the image of God is unique. This is the mark of an image of God. Everybody is unique. If you destroy that unjustly, it is an irreparable harm. Right? If the image of man is God, then he has infinite value. In this sense, what kind of... Okay, good. Now, let's look at that Mishnah. Page 1, 2, 3, 4. Okay, 1, 2, 3, 4. Page 2, 1, 2, 3, 4. Let's see what this Mishnah is really telling us now. Everybody gets one of these. Yeah. Just pass it along. I'm sorry that I didn't make enough copies, but... You'll have it. Page... Mishnah... Here. Okay, okay. And if that's page two. This is a fantastically ethical, right? Ethical Mishnah. How do you warn witnesses about capital punishment cases? You would bring them in, and warn them and threaten them. Maybe you people heard it from a rumor that this man committed the murder. Maybe you heard it from another witness. So they say, no, we heard from somebody uh, who's reliable. Maybe says, you, you may say, as a witness, maybe, we're somebody, maybe you heard of somebody who's reliable. So you say, oh, he's reliable, I'll trust him. No, you can't testify to if you heard of as a rumor or somebody who's reliable. No good. Or maybe, maybe you don't know that we are going to investigate you intensively. But we're going to ask you every single which question. Because we're not going to 
the possibility of an innocent man go to the gallows. Hey, I want you to know. This is what you tell the witnesses. Monetary issues are not like capital punishment issues. In monetary issues, if you made a mistake, what happens? You pay it back. Right. A man gives... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very important. Very important point, which is, um, which is Alan Dershowitz's point in his book, Reasonable Doubt, about O.J. Simpson. So he makes that exact distinction. Correct. Now, so if you made a mistake, you give them a mourn and you are atoned. However, in monetary, in life issues, Damor, his blood, and the blood of all the possible children that would have come from him, Tiluim Bo, are all hanging on this issue. Till the end of the world. Because we found with regard to Cain, who killed his brother, Pasuk says, it's an extraordinary Pasuk. The bloods, plural, Demer, Hadamim Shil, the bloods of your brother are screaming out to me. In all, it does not say the blood, Dam, rather the bloods, meaning Damor, his blood, and the blood of all his children. Now, I can raise a question over here. Is that Pshat or a ethical backward thrust into the Pasuk? Why does the Pasuk use the plural? Call Deme Achicha. Pshat. Interesting is bloods. Call Deme. Damim Shel. His blood. His blood. Adam. Do we ever find the word blood in singular in Tanakh? Or do are we, by the very nature, do we have bloods? Right. Some, right. So that's interesting. So, but. I think you're right. Pshat, I mean, Torah intentionally wanted you to know that when Kain killed Hevel, he killed not only Hevel, he killed all of his future children as well. Let's use that, leave that as a Pshat for now. Another possibility, not everybody was happy with that Pshat, therefore his blood was strewn all over the trees and the stones, okay. and therefore it says bloods, because the bloods were screaming out, the bloods from the trees, above from the rocks, from all over the place, blood. So that's another non-ethically motivated Pshat interpretation. So that's what we're arguing. Now, what is the real shot of this pasuk? One has a very powerful ethical thrust. One doesn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Correct, exactly. Furthermore, now we come back to the original point. Therefore, a man was created Yehidi alone, Adam Harishon, one man, Lamedach, to teach you that whoever destroys a soul, it is as if you destroyed an entire world. Interesting point. Our Mishnah has Misrael, a Jewish soul. As of course you were away. I'm sorry. The um, original Min- Minkin manuscript of the Talmud in the 15th century has Nifshahat. Number one. So he uses the Babylonian traditional text, but the original manuscripts of the 6th century Minkin edition has the word does not have the word Israel. Right. And Rabbi Salavechik, when he quotes it, the only man of faith that Eli. Had graciously Xerox, except for his machine, rebelled, <laughs> right, <laughs> against him. Has also, Rabbi Salvechik quotes it as, Kolomemet Nefesh. Not Nefesh, Hatmi Israel, but Nefesh. So the more correct text would say, and look, how, and look at the implication of this, whoever destroys a single soul, as opposed to a single Jewish soul, you destroy the world. This question comes up all the time. Here's an interesting question. We're learning in the morning halakha about the halakhot of Kihuna. And Hamoudia makes the point that if a Kohen kills in a car accident, he could never do Bukat Konim again. Right? Kill the car, he took the human life, he could not be. It's a famous halakha, it's very well known. Kill Bukat Konim if you killed in a car accident. 
The Chavodiyah makes the point, well, if he was, if he would drive recklessly, either too fast over the speed limit, past a stop sign, or you, or you went past the red light, then you are called reckless, and therefore, though it's accidental, then you cannot do katkwanim. Right? If you were in war, and you killed, Chavodiyah deals with that issue as well. So, of course, the people's question was, what if we killed Palestinians? You mean all the Israeli soldiers, none of them are Kwanim, they're all, some of them are Kwanim, and they killed, so they can look at him. So I'm going to get to the issue also. If you're saving a Jewish life by killing, that's okay. But what about if you killed a non-Jew in a car accident? So is the non-Jew the same as the Jew or not the same as the Jew? So it's an interesting question, which comes back to this over here. If you use the word Israel, it's one, so if you use the word without Israel, it's another story. Right? So really the correct text seems to be, if you destroy one life, then the Torah says, as if you killed an entire world. By the way, this was the atheist could have used this as an answer. Instinctively, he could have felt that without it. Yes. It. Yeah, yeah, I... Yes. But he doesn't believe in Adam. But that, no, it had to do with God. It had to do with God. It's procreation. Yeah, it's human beings have something... A whole line of, of, of people. So you killed a whole line of ants for the same thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but we don't care about the ants. But he Why sees not? The, I don't know. Okay. Is it a contribution? Okay, good. Hold on. Okay, so next. They communicate. So next. And whoever sustains, whoever sustains a life, then the Torah also says, you sustain an entire world. Right? Over here I have a footnote. See, Siddur Olam Rabbah, Perek Yud Aleph, page 53, which also deals with this, does not have the word Yisrael either. No, well, Ishalacha, the Rav quotes Nev Shahat Stam, page 134. So it's all known. I think it's there also. So each, it's known that Shida should not be here. But good. That's what you ask. That's what you ask. Yes, Kaki Sassoon, then it's one thing. Right. If you ask, um, I don't know what he says personally, but if you ask the traditional, if you ask the traditional text, then it's a traditional text. So either way. Good. So therefore, a man was created alone, Yehidi, to indicate that if you lost one, no, if they become Jewish, then they escape the destiny. And they become equal to you. If a person is the, the, the blackest avid in the world and he converts to Judaism, then he's obviously a Jew to all measures. So there, biology is not destiny, which is one of the fundamental teachings of the Torah. Biology is not destiny. And wait, the fact that Noah cursed them, does mean Hashem cursed them also? Yeah. Why? Oh, say that oh, oh, exactly the same thing. Because he prevented Noah from, from having further children. Whatever the reason may have been, we don't know. That's not the pshat of Anyway, but so what? So Noah did it. Who said that? That means that Hashem sustained or agreed to that curse. No, you don't. You know that I'm right. It's okay. <laughs> no, in this case, it's obvious. That who said that Hashem necessarily agrees that the black man is necessarily cursed? Noah said it. Could I promote that? To the contrary, what makes a person cursed in Tanakh or or a servant is if he steals? If he does not pay back his debts, if he's an evil person, or if he castrates his father. Yeah. He said Noah said it. Noah said that. But, but, it's, a, but it's, a, it's a message. Who said it's a message? Noah made the statement. There are many statements that people make in, in biblical literature. He's a drunken Noah. Why should I? He's a drunk when he said this thing. Why should I say that that's what God wants? I don't want to pursue this right now, but we could pursue another time. I'm just, just saying there's a conflict with that. Yeah, I, I, don't, I think it's very resolvable. Now, also, man was created. Another reason, Yehidi, to say the greatness of God, that a man creates many coins from one coin, and they're all the same. All your quarters are the same, correct? However, the the King of all kings, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, he creates from one image man, in the same with the same Adam same 
plate, mold Adam Rishon, and not two of them are alike. We're all different. Therefore, everybody is obligated to say, which is extraordinary, Bishvili Nivra Haolam. The world was created for me. You are that infinitely important to God. It's astounding to say this. It's Pekavot. Pekavot. Uniqueness and the, imp- the infinite preciousness of individuals. Of every human being is infinitely creating the eyes of God. Everybody has to say this. And again, all the stress on this issue, but only Jews, but universally. So we'll see what's universal. And then the witnesses say, you know something? We're out of here. Why do we have to testify in this case when all this rests on our testimony? Why do we want to get involved in this? So Torah says, that if you're a witness and you saw or you know something and you don't say about it, you have a responsibility to testify. Right? And then, and maybe you say, why should we get involved in this guy's blood? The answer is, because Masuk Mishra says that there's happiness when evil people are brought to justice. Right? So you have that obligation. So here you have, the Mishnah is drawing out the implications of what Sinan Lukim really means. So again, we raise the question, is that the shot of what it means or not? I think we could very easily argue that all the Mishnah over here is drawing a question, meaning it's telling you the Peshat of what this Peshat was really all about. So what Greenberg is doing over here is not a new, modern, innovative con- concept, concept or context. To the contrary, he's only telling you what the Mishnah said already. That Selim Elohim is a fundamental value in Jewish teaching. Point number one. Man is utterly unique, created Yehidi, and man is utterly, infinitely valuable, and... If one destroys a human being, there's an irrepar- irreparable harm that takes place. Right? Infinite death. So that's Pasuk Sinam Lokim. The next page. It's unique. What that person cannot look, cannot, nobody else can do what that person is going to do. So unique, change, change, infinitely change, valuable. Yeah, so, you know, what, what, what history you have hundreds and hundreds of... Right. So how does that change? What, what, what changed in the world? Of course it changed everything. You have more Chinese today, you have more... Uh, everything. What, what, what changed? We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't but, but that's the point. Different. The point is not to change. The point is that the intrinsic dignity of the human being means a person is infinitely valuable right. and that the loss of that... Here, the, uh, and the loss of that person... Wait, wait, wait. And the loss of that person means that that person's uniqueness is lost to the world. So something which was unique to the world, that individual is no longer there. And the Mishnah goes even further and says that, and we'll see in a few minutes, that even further, which we had read, is that the divine image himself, God himself is lessened. Now what does that mean metaphysically? Let's see in a second. Hold on. Once Now comes an interesting question. We've said about uniqueness and infinitely precious is what Selim Lokim really means. And that's the Mishnah Sanhedrin. So you've seen it inside. That's Pshat. That we've established, right? I think it has a pshat. It's an interesting issue because um, it came up analogously where um, the concept of tikkun olam, mending the world. Is this really the point and purpose of Torah? To mend the world. Right? That's one question. Or, as a friend of mine who was an ignorant Orthodox rabbi said, quote unquote to me, that that's just some reform concept that we borrowed. Kind of like an, oxymoron, an ignorant reform, Orthodox rabbi? 
To the contrary, I think. No. And I was so upset about this. Tikkun Olam, I don't, don't say who it is. Tikkun Olam is obviously a biblical category. Tikkun Olam Chuchadai. Now it's a reform concept we took over because he's so anti modern orthodox as us. Modern orthodox, we've got it from the reform. Usually you got guys like Michael Lerner and. He may have gone too far with it. Too far? It's a Tepesh. <laughs> okay, I'm not disagreeing. I don't. I don't get the Kuh magazine because the reform have adopted the whole idea. Of correct. That's correct. Correct. Does that mean it loses? That means that all tax principle? I, I don't know what it is. They polluted it. They, so that's that's the problem. Problem. So and then I was reading. Then I was reading. Then I said, Wait a minute. This is absurd. It's so fundamental. And then I was reading an article by Rabbi Lichtenstein, who quoted it as a fundamental value. Yeah. One of his articles, fundamental value of Kadosh, anti-Kun Olam, is what we're here all about. So it's clearly a, a fundamental principle of Orthodox Judaism, though it's been taken out of context. He, this rabbi denied it. He said it's a reform principle that we, that we took from them. Modern Orthodox took from them, therefore Modern Orthodox is trafe. That's what his, was his argument. So I was very upset about that. I said, that's absurd. But how can I prove to him? It's Kun Olam Kadosh, that's the whole story. We said, Allah Shabbat every single day. So he didn't know any... You know, so it is important to know, is Salem Elohim an orthodox pshat-based principle? Or did we invent it? Did Greenberg invent it? So, so far we see that Greenberg is only quoting Sifra, number one, and the Mishnah Sanhedrin, number two. But he came to the conclusion that I want the recognition as the classic view. Right. But, uh, well, we're going to come back to that point. An opinion or he really has... No, there's a whole... Well, he, his footnotes, which you don't have in front of you, he will quote the book in his image, which you should read, if you want to borrow it. Yeah. It's a wonderful book by. Sa- he <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't. He wouldn't have any credit if he didn't. We already had a little tit over there because he said he gave me back uh, the other book, Lubash Rami, and he didn't give back. I said, no, no, you didn't. No, no, yeah, I did, I did, I did, I did. Check, 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 I checked fifteen times. And then he blamed it on his wife, right? I still. I mean, he's talking for. You're obligated to bring it back. I don't care what your excuses are. Yes, right. This is what I know. I had. Can't lose it. All right. Well, we don't lose any of my books. I'm miss, actually missing one book now that I'm very upset about. I don't know where it is. So maybe Rabbi Tal took it from Israel. It's not you, no. The church fathers. <laughs> no, that, that I have. Oh, in wait, I, I, we, read, we read that in uh, St. Augustine. We're not Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn College. We read it. Jesus Christ. Yes, wow. Who didn't read it? Okay, so here we want to make sure there's a genuine Rabbi principle of Torah. <laughs> genuine principle of Torah. <laughs> now, let's look another point that he makes, and now I want to challenge this. One significant, this is page two, one significant dimension must be added. The image of God is to be understood not simply as a given category, but a statement of something to become. The image is open-ended. Now, his footnote 4 tells us, look at my, his article on Bible, the Bible in the modern world, which I couldn't get. So I don't know what his argument is from. Now, again, footnote 4 says, um, see my article, the Bible in the modern world, published by the World Jewish Bible Society in 1969. So I don't know how to get that. And who's the world Jewish? I don't know. I'd like to see it, but I don't know how to get that. The world and the modern, well, the modern man. So it's, I don't know. Maybe I'll call him and ask him. Actually, it'll be in two weeks for a wedding. Yeah, they must have it. So I'll try to find out where it's published. My, my cousin had the... Oh, really? Okay, that's something. We'll, we'll pursue that. So, but what does it mean? The image is open-ended. So what he's saying, God's image by definition is... Now, notice he's not quoting any Chazals on this. This is his position on this. And so has he really gone beyond, I think gone beyond what the Torah is really telling us in Salem and Okim. God's imposition is many 
multifaceted and inexhaustible. Would you say that? Would you agree with that? Is yes. God's it's image... Part of the definition of God. So you agree with the statement. Yeah. It's multifaceted and inexhaustible. Infinite. That's why every copy is different. No, in fact, it will Okay, okay, good. Anyway, many faceted so means that it's, that it's not infinite, Rabbi. The word many faceted means it's not infinite. But uh, would you say that God's image is infinite? Yeah, but, but the no, word but manifested, no, it means it's not No, no, no they, they want to say manifested because they actually reach that you want to follow. Okay, so it's limited. This is very semantically... Let's look at it more. Let's go further. Tradition further suggests that it is not fixed, but subject to modification. What does that mean? Thus, there are actions which extend or expand the image. Is he going now the, ro- the route of parshanut and he's going beyond the pasuk? The actions which extend or expand the image of God and their actions which shrink it. And to expand the image of God is to recognize it is to increase the divine presence in the world. It's a very profound notion as to what God is really all about. We tend, of course, to think of God as out there. Correct? Joseph Bennon, November Commentary. Did you get it yet? Or October? Uh, yeah. There's an article by David Glertner. I, I read it today. You read it today? It's yeah. amazing. Part three. I read, it, I read part three last night because Mordecai took me to the library. I only read the first two pages, though. So if you could bring it in. And the other two, I want to see the rest of the article. And it was a very profound... I, I'm surprised. He's the only computer program at Yale, so what does he know about Jewish theology? <laughs> so I, I was very skeptical in reading it, but I, the first three pages I read, till Mordechai got his books, I felt very good about it. He has a new idea of what God is. And he was, he was uh, injured Space. by... Uh, David Gortner? Yeah, by... Uh, he was? I remember this. Unibomber. That's right. Oh, I see the name. They're correct. Oh, that's the same person. Yeah, I remember that now, about three years ago. That's correct. Oh, he's the same guy. Amazing. So what's his background? Who is he? Is it from Guy? Definitely. Yeah, what was his profound choice? We often think of God as out there, which I've always said to you, that's pagan. God is not out any place. He says, think of God as within oneself and spiral downward to the fundamental building blocks of your being. God is within. It's Rav Kook makes the same point. Rav Kook has has a Kabbalistic notion. You see a piece 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 of every person. Yes, yeah, so, so do you take that seriously? God is a piece of you? I could say, be careful. No, the, 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 the thing Confident. is, the is, 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 is sort of... Uh, sort of, beware. We don't know what they Okay, I it's agree. Hard to understand those I agree, I'm with you 100% on that issue. Yeah, but it's giving you a tool. Agreed. It's giving you a tool how to think about it. Yeah, so I, I said this, wow, this is an interesting idea. I heard it from Avkuk, but then he said it in a more uh, way that related, like of spiraling inwardly, that when you pray, don't think of God as out there, which is pagan almost. Think of God as within yourself, spiraling infinitely within your own recesses of your own being. So to the building blocks of matter, you know, to the gluons, smaller than the subatomic particles, and smaller and smaller and smaller, you're getting to God is the substance of the universe, yet, of course, not substance, we're not pantheists, but beyond the substance, but it's... The ground of all being, something more than simply God is out there, which is or maybe both. We bring him closer right. by our actions. Uh, okay, that's an interesting point. That's a very it's a very agreed. What does that mean? God who is holy is sanctified by acts of righteousness. So we, our acts of righteousness, sanct- make God more kadosh, so to speak, which you're saying. 
in a certain sense. It's a sta- astonishing statement that we can do something which makes God more kadosh. Vayela kadosh nikdash bistaka. We say it every roshana. It sounds like he's limited. No. Is it perfection or is it holy? That's a limitation of God. But that makes it a limitation. Agreed. Agreed. So he wants to say over here that we do certain things which expand or strengthen the image of God. Thus, a murder of a you of humans reduces the presence of the image of God. If you kill a human being, you reduce the image of God. And here he's quoting footnote five, which is a traditional rabbinic source. Rabbi Akiva in chapter thirty-four, here. He has all the sources over here. I mean, I don't. I was in the other volume. Okay, we could look it up, but it's the same concept. miot. A person who dies lessens the image of God, but it does because God is part and parcel of us. It's a very frightening thought. has a similar concept that the shechina resides within your soul, but to think that way is very difficult. No, but so that really reconciles the difference. One other time. One time. Sorry. So when a person dies, is a person who gets of murdered. natural causes. Is yeah, it also yeah, yeah. That's the context in the in the Gemara where he's quoting. But that reconciles the problem with the definition of God's lesson limitation, because now we're saying if we hold that's that God is part of us, then it's diminished by correct definition means he's lessened. Exactly. But not Are you that he's Wait, first what you said was that he is lessened. the premise that he's part of us. Then it's lessened. Then we have to conclude. That's what the Gemara does. Lessened. Correct. But, What's the but here? But the definition, definition, mean, definition, the definition is holding on that premise. That correct. The premise, even if the premise is correct, God could be unlimited. Infinite, How could it be both? How could it be both? Because the definition... Uh, right. Maybe that's the answer. What's the answer? Infinite, infinite minus one is still infinite. So maybe God is oh, infinite and therefore, and therefore it's still infinite. So God is actually yeah, both. One of the... um. One of the interesting uh, chidushim that I once heard was um, based on the sifra. This is a very famous sifra. If you want to know he who created the world, study mm-hmm. Agada. Now, you think about what is the nature of Agada? Agada means what? It's a narrative, story, story, story narrative, where, where, no, well, yes, but more than that, where opposites can coexist harmoniously. Oh, okay. Is that not the case? You have your pirush, I have my pirush. And you could, any, any agadahs, 10 percent of every we don't say this is wrong, you're wrong. They don't argue dialectically or dialogically in agadah. All these pirushim all harmoniously coexist. I don't have to argue against you. And here, I, I'm giving you examples. There's 10 pirushim on it, they all exist. Okay, hold on. Wait, that's my point. My point over here is that, so if you want to know God, study Agadah, because in Agadah, disharmony harmoniously exists. Okay, that's a of what? No, it's a I think that's really a nice point. That has nothing no, to do with that. What does it mean? The point. What does it mean? It's not disharmony, but it's harmonious in itself. Then you can understand the many facets of Hashem. There could be a lot of contradictions. And, and they all work. How you begin to... I buy that. Me. I buy that. And how do we see this? And the spiraling also is comforting because it's the same type of... Absolutely. Thing. Exactly. By the way, that chidush was mine. <laughs> I was looking for it. I was, they, they wanted to hire me as a professor of philosophy at Stern. I was interviewed by Dr. Appel. Rabbi Appel. Dr. Appel. 
So he said to me, said, tell me something that you thought of recently. I said, okay. No. As a fact, the reason it was interesting, I was told about them. I wasn't ready for that anyway. I'm glad I didn't get the job. But they needed a professor of philosophy. And what happened was, I think I, I, I don't know, yeah, I think it was a smicha student, whatever it was. And uh, I was told by Shalom Karmi, my good friend, he says, the reason you get the job is because when you introduced Hamavadya in 1971, so I was a, as a senior in college, I just came to shul, came to the school, he had 500 people there, and I introduced, I introduced Rabbi Belkin as Nesiha Universita, and Rabbi Salvechik as Rosh Hashiva, yeah. and that's not appropriate, because Rabbi Belkin liked to see himself not as president, but rather as Rosh Hashiva. And he held that again. That's what Shalom Karmi says. Well, I agree. I don't think, yeah, I agree. But it was a big issue because his point was yeah. rabbinic personality. I'm not a president. I'm a rabbinic personality. Yeah. So I said it was a highly insulting thing. I had called the Chambal. I said, how do I just the Chambal? Yeah. So I didn't have interest. He yeah. says, oh, give me a 12-line introduction. Rosh, yeah. Abnei, Israel, Hashuv, the whole thing. I said, okay, I got it all down. I was like, welcome. I was like, welcome. It's very funny. Oh, I, no, he was very appropriate. He said, introduce him properly. But then I didn't ask about Rabbi Salvechik. I said, Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Salvechik. He was my teacher at the time. And then and Rabbi Belkin said, I say he's president. He's president. What is he? He's Dr. Belkin. Yeah, that's the way he's supposed to do that. And it's very funny. So then I gave my Dvar Torah, which is very nice. On why does it say, Yom Yom Abiyah Omer, Belayla Chavedat? Obviously, because his books are called Yabi Omer Chavedat. And it was very interesting because um, it was very funny. Just as a parenthetical story. That doesn't matter. Parenthetical story. Was I had to buy a book in September of that year for a course in Midrashic literature. So I go to the bookstore, and they have two editions, right? One edition has Prushadal for $12, and one had no Prushadal, which was for $8. So of course I'm going to buy the $8 book. Who had extra $4 in those days? You know, who had the extra yeah. $12? says, now I get the Prushadal. I didn't know who it was. I didn't know who it was. So it turns out now, he's coming tomorrow, and it's about 1 o'clock in the morning. I didn't write Midrash Torah yet. I didn't know how to do it. So right, 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 right. So finally, I, I, um, I figured, oh, this issue of Tehillim, I look, I look at the Midrash of Tehillim, right? Yehavidah is, is from Tehillim, right? So it says, it just explains, it says, look at the proof of Radal, which explains why Yom 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 and why Yom 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 Lila. Wow! I got the $4 answer. I said, look it up, there it is, and I quoted it. It was very pleasing. It was very, very nice. So I spend the extra 4 bucks. That's the answer over here sometimes. <laughs> So you, so you can't eat any longer. Yeah, it was, uh, I had it on tape. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was really very nice. It was very uh, it was really very pleasing. Yeah, and and Rabbi, uh, and it was very funny because the Chabad yes said to me. So you were a nerd. Big time. <laughs> no, and my kids won't tell me that. I mean, everyone knows that. Chabad says to me, "Me is a me is I still miss that late. Remember the late I missed? I missed that late. So plenty of I still remember. Easy as he was playing. I was 15 years old. It was just embarrassing. I missed the layup. I can't wait the layup. So Chavu says, "Is a geza ata? What your family told me? Mishpach alabaton." He says, "Mishpach chavu for semet ad meod." I need to mishpach sefer shalachamod dechalabaton. The finish nipusek halacha. He said, "Yeah." Atam akira alachamod dechalabaton. My great, my grandfather's great grandfather. Chavu dechai very well known. You've heard when Chavu dechai came, told us all stories. So he says. He says, and Kashul as well, right? Miracles. Chamodchai right. is known as having done miracles. Chamodchai, miracles, miracles. So it was. Uh, so I said, can 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 asaba silish bedik sipuri malaf. Lost tam sipuri him. Quote unquote. And that was the last he ever spoke to me. No chashut chayim, which my family republished. Halacha book, yeah. I didn't republish his Zohar. He has a book of Dirashot called Ben Yair, which I didn't republish. We published the the No chashut chayim. The, the Bach family is a Labaton, Gitano. So they published it actually. I just went on for I the introduction. And then the Cassin family is a Labaton also. 
Cham Yaakov Katzin's mother was a Labaton. So it's interesting how that all worked out. Is that the book they have for... Uh, the family. Did they just publish the book? Uh, Did it come out already? On the two families, Cass and the Labaton. Jakey's publishing it. No, the meaning no, the meaning of the name is it comes from a no from a from a palace no from a palace in Spain. Okay. It's been tracked down. From a, there's a palace in Spain by the, that personality. It was called that. The village was called the Lavatan village and all that stuff. And then they migrated from Spain, from Spain to Morocco to all that place. So it's uh, interesting stuff. All over the world, they're all over. It's really interesting. England, Argentina, interesting stuff. Okay, back to this. So. Family Beach too, by the way. Yeah. That's the one I remember. Joey, Stanley Wentzel and all those guys. We go back a long time. Where is this down? Uh, yeah. Oh, he's in Bedford. Bedford and Bedford and here in the summer, Norwood Avenue. Is there any more policemen over there, right? Roy's still a policeman. Roy, Roy, yeah, he's yeah. still a policeman. He still has his guns. He told me that. Today we discussed his guns. Okay. So now we have this issue over here of um, extend or expanding or limiting the issue. So the, any act, then we go further, any act that humiliates, denigrates, or hurts is seen as a form of desecration of the divine image and a reduction of, the, of God's presence. So now again, is he taking this too far? If I embarrass somebody, right? If I embarrass somebody, then I've lessened the divine image of that person. And by extension, I've lessened Shekhinah. So he quotes, no, so he quotes Tanhoma, Bereshit Abba, chapter 24. Right? So, this is chapter 24. That's the question. So, what I was getting at before was that somehow God is infinite and yet spiraling inward when a person dies or somebody's demeaned. It does work. I I, I mind too. I agree. So, that Hidush meant to. I want to reconcile. That portion is going to be reduced. I can see that. No, I'll let me go further than that. We'll go for a second. In the Lonely Man of Faith, there's a footnote where Rabbi Salvatier talks about the X-valued system. We are all used to thinking, all you skeptics, as opposed to David and I, we're all used to thinking of something can either, can be, you cannot have A and non-A at the same time. Principle of identity, it's called. Aristotle's principle of identity. From not to Aristotle's logic. Something cannot be A and non-A at the same time, right? It could be A, B, and C. It could be red, green, and yellow of an item. It could have eyes and a nose. But you can't be A and non-A. Right? It says Judaism in that footnote never subscribe to that logical system. Rather, what do we hold? That you can, in fact, be A and non at the same time. And God is. How so? Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh means God is infinitely transcendent. means God is infinitely imminent. Or as Heschel puts it, as Heschel put it, Emily's cousin, I'm sure Heschel has put it. God is imminent, is infinite, infinitely transcendent in his imminence, and infinitely transcendent in his imminence. No. 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 If I no, listen. The standard way of understanding that is Kadosh God is transcendent and imminent. Heschel puts it with a flair. God is transcendent in his imminence and imminent in his transcendence. You didn't say it that way, though. I did. No, I made sure I said it that way. Oh, we can check it and see. Someday. You'll check, you check it afterwards. God is infinitely transcendent in his imminence and infinitely imminent in his transcendence. So that sharpens... So we'll check it. We'll check it. There might be erased, however. This, some, one of my secretaries. 
So what does that mean? If you choose to. I'm on a very strict schedule tonight. Eli's uh, watching. What, okay. So what does that mean? It sharpens the contrast. It sharpens the disharmony or the opposites. God is not only is imminent transcendent. Okay. But that's spatial. But now we're going even further and saying, no, he's transcended in his imminence and imminent in his transcendence. No, it further sharpens the problem. He's infinitely imminent in his transcendence, so how could you be imminent in your transcendence? It's, 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 it's a stira. It's a, it's a contradiction in terms. If you're transcendent, you can't be imminent in your transcendence. You can't be both. That's precisely the point. That we cannot limit God to our X-value system of A and non-A. God is A and non-A at the same time. By definition, again. By definition, exactly. That's what God is all about. Don't talk, think of God. You can't pigeonhole him anymore. Exactly. That's, so that I'm comfortable with that. That's why I feel good about that because it, it just adds to what God really is all about. And that's why it's hard for a human being to conceptualize what God is because we're so used to thinking within the box of God is either A or B. Define him. Clear, simple definition. What is God? A force? A spirit? Is he matter? Is he gluon? What is God? Just to tell me. It's very simple to uh, yeah, do. Really maybe, maybe he cannot be what he wants. God cannot self-destruct if he, even if he chooses to do so. Then he's non-being. Non-being. Okay, so Greenberg's point over here is to say to us that if in fact you've desecrated the human image then you've desecrated God's name and you've lessened the Shekhinah. So he quotes from Bishit Lamadal, here was what he says on this in this context. Bishita Baramadavad, Biombra Kimadam, Hadam is okay, here he has he has this Gagavutra. Debita Hamad. Look at this interesting point. Ben Azai Omer, Ze Setul Hadam, this is the Pasuk, this is the generation of mankind, Kalagadol Batura. Beakiva Omer, Adira Kamoka, Ze Kagadol Batura. This is different than the one we have in Sifra, actually. In Sifra, it says, Zekagol Hemena. It's greater than the first one. Right. Here, they put them both on the same plane. Okay, so this should be Sifra. Interesting. Now, but what's the point? Shalotomar, don't say the Akiva says, bazeti. Because I have been shamed, I'm a shameful personality. I'll shame him as well. Don't say that because I've been shamed, I could shame you. I'm low life, I can, I can call you a low life too. Because I've been cursed, let me curse him as well. If in fact you have cursed or shamed your friend, follow this, know who you are really shaming. What, who are you really shaming? Hashem. Hashem. You're shaming God. So now, is Greenberg correct in quoting that if I curse you, I'm cursing God? I think Greenberg is correct. Also, there's a parashat who said to Abraham, "Those who curse you, those who bless you, are blessed." I don't disagree with that. Greenberg could come to this without citing any rabbinical authority. He comes to plain logic and simple, very starting with one premise and building to this point without any authority. Well, I like the authority, but because. The authority actually stifles him. It doesn't really help him. But he's a rabbinic Jew. But he has to go to authority but just to reinforce his own... Uh, I agree. But but again, is this the shot of the Pasuk? He, he went to the uh, authority after he sorted out. I agree. I agree. Right. I mean, he's an unusual person. I mean, He had to go because... But maybe. We're not sure. I mean, everybody's thought processes really develop and change. And you never really know where you got that idea from. 
What did I hear from somebody? <laughs> Where's reality? Where am I? Where am I? From someplace else. So you never really know what created. Did you come first, or the chicken or the egg came first? Yeah, your idea came first. It's developed first, whatever. So Greenberg over here says, any egg that you made, heard from him, was a form of created human being. So this, but he has a traditional source for this. So again, is that the shot of this pasuk? You made the image of God. That means if I desecrate the image of God, I'm desecrating God. Of course, you could also quote, as you will in a minute, but we'll get to this in a minute, it's the same thing. Insofar as a human being's self-image is a factor of the society and the treatment of others of an individual, then mistreatment of humans, physical, psychological, is a reduction of the image of God. Look at that leap. If society itself mistreats a human being, then they reduce the image of God. That's what we're saying. The obligation of society for the individual under this principle apply to all men. They range from elementary respect, which is a form of increasing the self-image of, therefore, the presence of God, to all sorts of self-applications. In the case of a man who is executed for murder, one must not allow the body to be publicly exhibited, lest people say, quote, from the Gemara, God is being executed. You know this from the Nashi, right? Yeah. The image of God being qualified, the image of God that's within you is going to be the murder. Exactly. That's the total image of God. That's the A minus well, one A and all that. Right. To be too conscious of the image of God. Okay. And the narrow definition of the one that's within you is going to be diminished. And then it could be seen as a total image of God. Agreed. That's what he's saying. I agree. Even the murderer is seen as containing within himself the aspect of divinity, and therefore, in some sense, in his death, God is being reduced in the world. Okay. And therefore, we have an interesting point that if you're going to execute somebody, choose an easy light death for him. Because he's creating the image of God. Okay, that also. How did that sound? We don't. Cool. We're not cruel to a person. Let's say he chopped up his victims. Well, we don't chop his victims. Hashem does choose to give him back what he was. But my view is that. Bedin does not, though. It's pretty hard to punish him, but you drug him. One at a time. We drug him in a sense that we don't want him to feel pain. But it is a harsh death. It's harsh, but it's painless, number one, and it's to teach other lessons. There four forms of execution. Four, yeah. Which are higher levels. Of pain and cruelty. Yeah. You want to equate Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's to teach us that the criminal act that he engaged in was more or less severe. We had discussed over the summer, I think you missed it, it was a really interesting set, where these four forms of Ashra came from. Why, why Siklas and Hanuk? Where did they come from? So I discovered it. Where did they come from? Where did they come from? Why these four? Did you guess? No. No. Should have come to the collection in the summer. No. I won't tell you. Don Quixote. On tape. No. are <laughs> close. You're close. No, you're close. That's an interesting. It was a really interesting set of classes as to the interaction between ancient Near Eastern law and Jewish law, and you could find these four modes of punishment in ancient Near Eastern law, each one. And I've compared Hammurabi's code and the Hittite code to our code, and I'd shown where paragraphs of Torah are lifted from Hammurabi's code, for example. And I said to them, which is Torah, which is Shosh which is Hammurabi, which is Torah. They're almost parallel. And I show the distinctions, of course, and the how Torah is singular in which way it teaches, where Ayn Techat Ayn, you know, where it comes from, Hammurabi's yeah. code, all that stuff. So I had shown that these four actually appear in the ancient Near Eastern law codes, and only these four in different criminal actions. So I had shown the parallels. Okay. That's interesting. Even the murderous scene is going to, therefore, Thus, we can and should judge society by the extent to which the conditions of life and the humans and political relations in that society will tend to increase the human capacity to become the image of God. 
This is the fundamental principle of Judaism. This is the value of statues that could offer the world. It's an, this is brilliant, by the way. Yeah, I'm sorry. So should we not kill the killer so that we don't reduce the image Good question. Very good question. Um, for toward, his beings, for his living, I would agree with, yes. It's a good one. One question. By the fact that we killed the killer, he turns other people from killing other images. Okay, good. His living is a greater reduction than us killing him. But you're degrading him is also reducing the You are, but you have to. But you're also increasing everybody else's image of God by reducing the evil. Right. So you could either be uh, the deterrent value is there. If one you lock time. him up and put him in jail, not enough of a deterrent. You, you're reducing the image of God for this person's entire the rest of his life. Correct. Lifetime. Correct. Or you can just kill him and get it over with. And there's another aspect. I agree. Okay. And that's and it's over. It's over with. That's it. Right. Like pulling off the band-aid. He killed one. 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 Said they didn't kill one. One in a. In a uh, right. So we come one. back to that. So Rabbi Yehuda says, if you don't, Rabbi does not believe in capital punishment. Right. Because man is infinitely valuable. And who are you to judge? So Rabbi says, no, capital, ever. But Rabbi Shemagamadil says, if so, you're going to have many murderers, which is David's point, you're going to have many murderers in the world then. So it's practical, the need for practical deterrence on one hand. On the other hand, taking a human life, which is the same struggle that all of us have when you raise the question in any classroom, do you believe in capital punishment or not? To Jews or not? Correct. One in seven or seventy years or never. Because how can you check a human life? On the other hand, O.J. Simpson's running around now, though he committed horrifying crimes. But he's not dangerous to society. A, we don't know that. B, is there something to be learned from the... It's, it's a very good point. He got away with murder. But it was very, exactly. He got away with murder. So what message did that send out to murderers? You can't get away with murder. Wayne did it too now. When did he do this? Recently? But, but About a year ago. A year ago, yeah. No, we don't know yet. No, but he did it because his the other guy got away with it. His lawyer quit. Right. But is O.J. Simpson dangerous to society? Well, let's assume he's not. So what? The symbol is dangerous. No, the symbol is dangerous. Yeah, it's an amazing point. Because what happens now? But a rich man never... Going back to philosophy 101, hanging with... A, pickpocketing was a capital offense, and all the pickpockets went through all the hanging. Because that's where the people were. <laughs> Very good. That yes. was philosophy 101. Right, right, right. right. They're all pickpocketing. Over right over there. there. Okay, last point. We only have two more minutes. And a minute to rewind the tape. Right. Okay, the image of God. So then he talks in the next paragraph about, about the body. Because you have to take care of the body as well as the soul. So you as a society have to make sure that this person is physically taken care of. Therefore, the implication of this is welfare. Because a hungry, slovenly person is the secretion of the image of God. As is obvious. So on the next page, on page 3, the first step then is in, in, a, in a good society is to create a setting which provides fundamental physical, political, and material relationships which encourage human self-development. These then provide the framework for which the general personal development can be found. Religious men must work for the subject of society. Arisa Salanter said, put it in the 19th century, my fellow man's material welfare is my spiritual responsibility. Wow. Or I am responsible for my own spiritual welfare, my name is material welfare. People prefer to practice the reverse. Is, uh, I hope your soul's good, but I have to worry about my own material, physical well-being, my own. The ultimate judgment principle... The ultimate judgment principle... There's a limit to how far you go for this. No. No, to the contrary. I have to worry about your physical well-being. At the same time, I can't afford to hurt mine. That's the next paragraph. Next paragraph. The ultimate judgment principle of society, then, is its ability to create a physical and spiritual setting which enhances the image of God in all men. This criteria, all of the facts and arrangements must be judged. Now, the next paragraph talks about America's material prosperity. And coming into the last, last line of this paragraph, 
One may question whether the current situation of materialism in America does any better way to clear. As David Reisman put it, we have a market mentality. David Reisman? Oh, well, he's, uh, he's one of the, yeah, of course, he's one of the famous uh, writers of, 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 American, of French American history. Put a market mentality in America where, whereby control of the economy carries it to an hundred degree control of the ethical regime. It's very serious. In other words, market dynamics determines what's right and wrong. That's exactly the opposite of what Greenberg's arguing. Right. Ethics and cinema king should be the determining factor of what you pay your workers. If you pay your worker a slave wage, and that man hovels, lives in a hovel, and he grovels for his food, then you have lessened the image of God. That's what he's saying over here. But so the how market do you... dynamic strains everything out. Equitable? No, listen to this. The ideal society is an equitable distribution of the scant resources available. No, start with that premise. Equitable distribution. So communism, attempts dictatorships, and all kind of totalitarian and capitalism. The capitalism, the market dynamic, creates that nobody has to grovel based on. But they, but, but people do. Twenty percent. Yeah, but H. Tzinim Lokim is groveling. Yeah, a whole world of groveling. Correct. Okay, good. That's what we'll say at the end. This is not meant to be a lugubrious attack on American materialism, but I didn't do the rest of this. But to point out that built-in American ethos is an assigned high value to material productivity, which inevitably makes Congress and the public much less sensitive to certain human needs than it is to the importance of maximizing production and efficiency. He's, he's a PhD in history. Well, that's his, that's his point. That, that's his point. Correct. That's his point. That's his point. But I'm a firm believer. No, no, he goes... Full employment means for a good economy. He, he talks about this. How to, to bounce these yeah, two out. I will do the whole thing if you want to read the whole thing. It's another yeah. ten pages. I didn't... I, I just give you a few. It is a brilliant article. At the end, he then talks about Shabbat. One way this... One, listen to this. One way the supremacy... One, Judaism wants us to see the human value over the material, ultimately. And one way the supremacy was achieved was through certain so-called ritual laws. Thus, in Jewish society, once a week on Shabbat, all businesses were closed. So what's more important, the human or the business? The human were closed. And the day was spent in being, not in doing. A society which can restrict business... Be more productive. A society which... That's not his point. It's exactly the opposite of his point. It's much more productive. It's to be less productive. A society which can restrict business to the extent, obviously has asserted its supremacy over the business values. By this criteria, one must convince that the religious elements in contemporary society have not done a particularly outstanding job. Religious groups have tended to fall between the schools of acceptance of American values on one hand and a kind of pious spirituality abstractly critical of American materialism on the other. To avoid this area, it is crucial to reestablish the tradition of the Jewish tradition of the link between spiritual values and human self-fulfillment and the material society with which we live. That's the slavery and all that stuff. Okay. So now, again, he's begun with a very clear commentary on the, princi- on the key concept of Tzedem Elohim. Did he go too far? His whole essay over here, and saying this is the key biblical value that is what we should be establishing in our society. And he quotes all the chazals that you want. He has 50 footnotes or 32 footnotes over here, which yes, try to... to go too far. It's a perfect springboard. To go too far in which direction? Yes, anyway, any direction. You go crazy with it. He wants to go into Salem Lokim direction. Very, yeah, he went very wild. It's an economic... Oh, absolutely. The whole essay is that way. Well, he's quoting the rabbinic line. He didn't cross it. There's a whole thing 
Biden's it's from the equality of man, right? He's also saying yeah. that. Absolutely. Exactly Absolutely. But the, learn, the learned characteristics, the learned characteristics, Okay, good. So here's a modern PhD Orthodox Jew, has a pasuk, develops implications, and applies it across the board. It's an incredible statement. Are you talking about a utopian type society? Also? No, this is real. He's a very hard headed thinker. He because he's saying that the fact that the, day, the Jews rest on one day is still a productive society. And still yeah, that's how we balance it out. That's yeah, his point. And that's point. And it works. Again, if anybody wants to read this article, it's really worth reading, and I'll make a copy for you if you want to do it. Give me the tape. I want to read Okay, one second. Okay, now, this is one commentary on this pasuk. Pshat, I would want you to think about whether this is the pshat of this pasuk. Right? We're coming back to that. Yes, we are coming back to that. Now, is he going too far? Well, this is what the Torah really means. He's expanded it, but it's beyond, is it expanded beyond the level of shot? Well, this is what Torah really wants you to do. Is what you have to think about. Point number one. One second. Point number one. Point number two is that hopefully by next week, Eli will get to you, whoever wants to read. One second. We'll get to you, the lonely man of faith, where another great Ma'at thinker will also elaborate on what this Pasuk is all about. And again, you have to raise the question, is there a Salvechik doing Pshat or Darash. It's, a, it's a, about 20 pages to read. If you page to read, hopefully you'll read it. And I'll give you a sense again of what Sinaloki means in the modern Orthodox world. Now, after the Pshat, the contrast will be what the right-wing biblical commentaries are saying about this Pasuk. And what Eli said. You're going to see it. In, I'll give you four different sources. You will see. Can I read that book now? Which one? In his image. I'm a little puzzled by you. I have to, I'm using it this week. I'll give it to you next week. I'm using it for... Criteria is too far. I'm a little puzzled by that. I think a guy could start with a Peshat mm-hmm. all the way and then stray. Yeah, of course. But I want to know... talking about the rules of the World Series and there's four games here and three games there from this no, I have no problem with that, but, but that's true, it does flow, it does, but is he, I agree, but I mean by that, is he going beyond, what Torah tells you what God wants of me, no, I don't think he went too far, no, no, I just want to know, is what I Hashem wants, does he want me all this, the beauty of the Torah is that it lends itself to okay, good, correct, exactly, okay, agreed, agreed, then, so then that's what, so that's what Hashem wants, Hashem wants of this of us, okay, that's, that's good, that's what I want, that's what I want to know, okay, so try to, if you, if you can get this, Eli, to people, you know, you can email to them or something, it's 